Welcome to Books, Baby, the podcast where we're reading the rainbow and the occasional white straight man. Content warning, this podcast discusses, discusses spoilers from the book along with content such as porn, graphic rape, sexual assault, sexual violence, anti-gay slurs, incest, murder and torture. Welcome to Books Baby, where we are reading the rainbow and the occasional straight white man. On today's episode, we are excited to be doing a Books Baby's first translated fiction, Paradise by Fernanda Melchor, which has been translated from Spanish by Sophie Hughes. It was longlisted for the International Booker Prize earlier this year, and I think we couldn't have picked a more riveting and thrilling book for our first translation pick. I'm Beverly, your host today, and for once again, this podcast has picked a really aggressive book to talk about, and I am joined, <laughs> as always, by Alonzo, Jamie, and Ian. Since we are talking about a translated book today, I would love to know, what is everyone's favourite translated fiction read that they've read so far? Ian, do you have one for me? <laughs> sure. You know, I, I would probably actually say that um, my favourite translated book is Fernanda Melchor's Hurricane Season. It was like very close to being my favourite book last year. And it's just, it's like this book. It's breathless. It just, it's mm. this dream of, of violence and chaos. And, and she just changes multiple narrators who you sort of find out are all quite unreliable. But yeah, despite the the darkness of the themes is just so eminently readable. I just couldn't put it down. I loved it. it I really want to book. pick up her first book as well. Yeah, Aloe, I think you were probably, I saw it first on your feed as well. Is, is Hurricane Season one of your picks or do you have something else in mind? I Well, I read that in, in Spanish because obviously Spanish mm. is my first language. So I tend to read um, books in Spanish. But what I had, I absolutely love was Lie With Me by Philippe uh, Besson, which and was translated by Molly Ringwald. Lovely story, short, sweet, but full of emotion. It's so um, sad. So Aww. sad as well. Um, but I, I felt, I don't know, because I don't know uh, French and I can't read in French, but I felt like the, <laughs> the translation was full with, em with emotion and with the risk of uh, offending people around here. I don't particularly think English is a very emotional language. <laughs> and I felt like that, that book captured that emotion. But I'm very used to growing up and reading in Spanish. I'm very mm -hmm. used to read translation. So it's just since I moved to Australia that I couldn't pick up yeah. books in Spanish as often as I was able back, back home. That I started reading yeah. books in English, um, which has been great, particularly with e books written in, in, in English. Yeah. And was that Molly Ringwall, like Rat Pack, Molly Ringwall? Yeah, the actress. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. the actress. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. cool. Didn't know she speak French. Yeah, me neither. I, I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so a great awesome. translation. Yeah. Okay. Is it, what is it about actually? Oh, it's sort of like autofiction, isn't it? It's, oh, like, yeah. it's about an author who has the same name as the guy who wrote the book and about his love affair in high school. 
Yeah, he goes um, back to, to his hometown to present a yeah. book and meets yeah. the son of his lover. Mm. It's, it's really good. And okay. he, he figured out it's the son because they look exactly like this. his, his former <laughs> lover used to look when they were teenagers. So it's really good. Oh, okay. Scandalous. It's kind of like if Breakfast Club had a sequel, maybe, if they all went back. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Not at all. All right. Just, I tried. I tried to guess. Uh, moving very swiftly on, Jamie, what is your translated fiction pick? <laughs> I struggle to pick a favorite because, as we all yeah. know, I read so many translated novels. It's not funny, mm. which is great. I love them. Yeah, um, that's awesome. My more recent favorite from this year was Banana Yoshimoto's Kitchen. Um, I'm keen to read the rest of her catalogue. I think it's going to be immense. Her writing, even in a translated text, so I often think, similar to what Ali was saying, that a lot of it might be lost in translation for, mm. of meaning, especially into English, from languages that are a lot more emotional or um, evoke different feelings to what English does. But this, like her kitchen book at least, which is the only one I've read of hers, doesn't seem to lose any meaning like it's still got all those really hard-hitting moments and like things mm. you can relate to so it's basically set around like the concept of a kitchen and how it means more than a kitchen in different family units and then mm. explores the characters connections to kitchens so it's like one of them was like connected to the kitchen because that's her favorite memory of her mother and things like that but yeah it's really nice in other translated texts like um Mirakami I often mm find i'm left with more questions sometimes from a translation because something might be lacking but mm. that's not on the translator it's just on how the story was originally crafted and it doesn't always translate well into english cool yeah i've never heard of that one as well but i love any book that involves like sitting around a kitchen table or gathering around that's always a really heartwarming one to do mine's probably elena ferrante's neapolitan series like a classic i think it's been all over bookstagram for years and years now and it is similar to Paradise, I think. It's very, again, very violent. It's about dialect in that uh, regional Italian area. But I could never, um, it's made such a lasting impression on me in terms of that very complex female friendship. I think the first of um, the trend that was to come and how that went through the years and how that evolved. It was such a great series. Has anyone else read that? I haven't oh, read yeah. them and I've been dying read to read them. Uh, yeah. I read the Lila first. Lila is just so like the most frustrating character in fiction, isn't she? Uh, Lila. Lila, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, nah, definitely. And I think not being in her mind when you're in, El like, Ellie, was it Eleanor? I can't remember Elena, the other yeah. character. Eleanor's name um, in so much and never being able to see to the other side was, yeah, as you say, Ian, super frustrating. Um, Jamie, you can take it with you um, on your trip to Italy in January. <laughs> Oh, yes, I know. I'm going to. Yes, good oh, idea. I'm yes. going to reread the first book. Hopefully, I'm. I've just yep. started making a list of books I want to read this summer. So, so yeah, exciting. I'm going to have to reread it because Ian was like, "Just message me and I'll give you the whole rundown." I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just reread it. It's fine. <laughs> the whole list of characters in the front. If you forget who a friend is, you'll just like go back to the front. Like, oh, just take yep. that, of course. Because I've got. I uh -huh. own the first two, and then the other two I'll mm. get on my e-reader or something. But yeah, I'm gonna. Hopefully just commit to reading the whole series in a go instead of, because I read the first one and then was like, oh, I don't feel like the next one and then forgot about it. So <laughs> I haven't read them exactly because of a translation issue, because in my mind, Italian and Spanish are so similar. Well, not mm -hmm. in my mind, like in, in real life as well. But I felt like, oh, I should, I should read, I should read uh, a Spanish translation instead of an English translation. Mm. Oh, yeah. But yeah, obviously okay. I can find... Uh, 
a Spanish translation in Australia. So I, I definitely gonna start reading them in English. It doesn't matter. Alo, do you, do you have like a book smuggler? Like if you wanted to get books in Spanish, like would you do? You have I do Kindle. Do you Kindle is, is you do is, Kindle. Is, okay, it's really good. And sometimes Book Depository is really well for sending them. Uh, if ah, I want the physical copy, I tend to I tend to get them from from there. Yeah, and they're they're okay. about the same prices a book will cost me here. That's ah, not yeah, that's not yeah. too bad because sometimes I try to buy books from Singapore that I can't get here, and shipping is fifty dollars just for one book that costs twenty bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not paying seventy dollars for that. <laughs> and, and my my other trick is which mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often because no one comes to visit me. But if someone's coming from Mexico, it's <laughs> oh, like <hello>. bring me books. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's good advice for all our listeners bring books always bring books. Please. always never bring. go wrong with books no bouquet of flowers rubbish give me no. a bouquet of books <laughs> <laughs> those sound really really good and as usual you'll find all these i think well we'll do a new one we'll you find all these books in our show notes we'll put it in the show notes so that you can go and see all these translated fiction that's been um, recommended today But let's dive into today's book then, Paradise by Fernanda Malcolm. So for those that are unfamiliar, this is a very brief synopsis of what happens in the book. Inside a luxury housing complex, two misfit teenagers sneak around and get drunk. Franco, lonely, overweight and addicted to porn, who obsessively fantasizes about seducing his neighbor, a very attractive married woman and mother. And there is Paul also who dreams about quitting his grueling job as a gardener in the gated community and fleeing his overbearing mother and their narco-controlled village. Facing the impossibility of getting what they think they deserve, Franco and Polo hatch a mindless and macabre scheme. I wanted to talk a little bit about the author as well. So Fernando Mancor is a Mexican writer who is best known for her novel Hurricane Season, which we talked a little bit a little bit about. It was that was shortlisted for the 2020 International Booker Prize, and Paradise is also no slouch in the prize department. This year, it got another nom in the International Booker, so that's really awesome. In an interview about Hurricane Season, Melcor said that she wanted to write novels that the readers just can't let go of. And I think in this book for Paradise, she's kind of succeeded again. She's written another book that I definitely didn't put down. It's very short. It's about, I think, about 100 pages. And I couldn't tear my eyes away, even though I felt like I knew it was coming. It was like a train wreck that I just couldn't turn my head from. How does everyone else feel about that quote and just generally about the book about Paradise? I think you're right. It's so hard to put it down. You kind of, especially because it's this long flow of sentences. There's no, there's mm. no chapter breaks. It's just continuous, isn't it? And once you're mm. in, it's like it's like you're caught in a rip or something at the beach. You just sort of, you're struggling against this flow of words, <laughs> leading you to something you know you don't really want to know, but you can't look away. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to put it. Out, <laughs> out, hello. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I feel like the way in which which she writes and this story is is addictive in the sense that it feels like someone is telling you the story. Like, you're not reading actually a book, but hearing mm. someone t- uh, telling you an experience or something that just happened. And I, I felt like that was very helpful for this extremely long sentence and paragraph, which I do have to say, but I'll save it 
I'll say it here, but I'll talk. We'll talk about this later in the episode. Yeah. In Spanish, long sentence makes so much more sense than in English. So that was very interesting to see translated, and that translated really well. Yeah, Jamie, how did you feel about the book? I found it quite good. Um, I did find it quite confronting in some parts, as we'll discuss later. So I didn't exactly read it as quickly as everyone. It definitely was like mm. addictive. It had those qualities. But I like had to keep putting it down to like take a moment to really think about what just happened and my thoughts on mm. it and process it rather than just reading it like cover to cover in like one afternoon or something like that. Yeah, I, I didn't pause, but yeah, I think the long sentences didn't phase me as much as uh, like I just didn't notice them. Like I when I opened the book, I saw that there were really long paragraphs, but what's you get in it, you kind of just, yeah, you get lost in it and you don't really notice it as well. Uh, you said it was kind of violent in some parts, Jamie, that might be. The understatement of the year. That way, like, violence throughout. <laughs> it's like saying a little life was a nice story. Yeah, like. it was like, oh, it was, it, was, it was good. It was good. It was uh, good. You say through gritted teeth. <laughs> yeah, it was great. There were some nice parts. The first hundred pages were really good in a little life. But I think, uh, like for the like you know for the hundred pages, I would say, and you know, yell out if you don't agree with me. Misogyny and violence was definitely at the forefront of this entire novel for sure and yeah <laughs> and I think just reading through that uh wondering like wondering why we're covering such such a violent topic I mean she writes about it in such a kind of beautiful way as well through the characters and juxtaposed against the landscape of itself but I was curious to know why she had picked some of the language and some of the imagery to be kind of like that gruesome and that violence and Again, in kind of that same interview in with Granta, Melkor, Melkor says that for her, she's fascinated by being human and how being human is kind of to be perpetually tempted by the shadow of violence and the appeal of rage and the sheer force of it. So that temptation part, I think, really shows through and what kind of propels the book forward. But I'll be curious, Ian, how, do you, how did you feel about how the misogyny and violence was sort of written throughout the book? I want to just pick up on something you said earlier about mm. we're choosing these books that are so violent, you know, and <laughs> um, it does kind of remind me of Young Mungo, which we did mm. you know, a few months ago, that it's about the human condition, as as Melchor says, you know, we, we are living in, in, in a society that, you know, not necessarily, you know, we don't walk out and, and find narcos on our front doorsteps, but there's <laughs> violence all around us. And, um, and it's part of being human, this me versus them kind of feeling mm -hmm. the duality of the world and what is really similar i think in this book with young mungo is is um the way that the authors both write about humanity and in this case it's so interesting how she writes it from polo's perspective and you're inside his mm. head the whole way you know he's describing these events to you and sort of explaining how he ends up in this position that he does at the end i won't boil it by saying what happens at the end but you know some pretty gruesome things happen and he's sort of you know he's led astray by Franco I suppose they both lead each other astray and mm. you know and like you say it's this toxic masculinity thing of them getting drunk together and, and telling stories and you know I'm so I'm so manly that I can do this and yeah it's it's yeah. fascinating to be inside his head and to see how you know you can end up being this angry he's got what did you say rage and sheer force he's got so much rage 
I think a lot of teenage men have so much rage, you know, they feel trapped, they feel unempowered and they don't have anyone. I mean, he he didn't have anyone he could talk to about all these things Mm. he was saying about all the male figures in his life have disappeared. His grandfather died. His Mm. um, his cousin, I think it was, has gone off to be part of the them who is the narcos. Mm. And he's left with his mum who slaps him about the face and tells him how useless he is. Um, His cousin who... um, yeah, I don't want to spoil what happens with his cousin either. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, he has he has female people in his life, but he doesn't really communicate well with them or, you know, get any sympathy from them. Yeah, so much yeah. misogyny and rage in him. It was fascinating. Yeah. Something that, that I p- picked up and I have I read it originally in Spanish and then again this time in English, uh, just have that, that, that difference. But the violence in the language, I... I feel like it is, it's a very thoughtful thing from the author because she just wants to reflect on how grotesque it is when she writes about sex, about how characters talk to each other, descriptions. It's just a, a reflection of how, how violence has permeated uh, Mexican society from so many angles and from so many ways. Mm. I was very, um, yeah, very shocked with the language, but I felt like it does make so much sense and it shows perfectly frustration from the characters, but also how, like, the reality of Mexico, like how violent Mexico is at the moment. Jamie, did you have anything to add on that part? I definitely do agree. Like, there is a purpose for the language Mm -hmm. that she uses. And I I don't know, I feel like we're all sort of drawn to these stories because as, like, I think everyone sort of touched on, especially Ian, they're about like the human condition and what it means to be human. And I think at least for me, it's fair to say that I find those more interesting than like like a fantasy world or something because mm. there's, ele- there's always something you can relate to. Obviously not the graphic violence, but you can relate to some sort of element of like how they feel about a certain thing or mm. how they might act depending on the story and things like that. No, that's a really good point. And I think like the violence, like we've talked about so far, it's in the language, it's in the character itself. And it's kind of working against that sort of desperation of wanting to escape their circumstance and almost escape themselves, which they can't really do. But there is also, I feel like there's another tier to it, which is um, a more subtle, subtle one in, you know, Polo works in this gated community as a gardener to these really rich people. And that's how he meets, you know, Franco, who's kind of idling by the pool and who has all these access, access to money to buy alcohol and things as well and I think in that gated community they try to pretend that the violence isn't happening but in doing that there is still violence in those gated community and especially in the ugliness of how I guess the one percenters especially treat the people who are serving them so how Paul is treated by the um I think the owner of the place so not only not paying him well expecting him to work after hours and kind of just subtly mocking him when he doesn't know how to pronounce sort of paradise in English. Like that's not the sort of right way to pronounce it. So I think class is another way that, in another way, violence shows up. But Al, you're nodding a lot. So I just want to hear what you had to say. No, I, I, I thought you made a, a very uh, good point. And it's something I think uh, the novel itself is a commentary on, on class, how the social structure is, is in Mexico. Mm. And the way you put it was really good. Like it's a very subtle way, but it's a very powerful way in which she she describes this or, or the way the author uh, puts that in. I, I found that violence is a violence that um unfortunately mexico has normalized and what the way you say like just living in this 
uh, gated community with a pool where houses may cost millions of pesos and you have all these flat screens and a BMWs and all the all the mm. luxury that it's described and then hired or this teenager who need who has to quit school to provide to his mom and his cousin and has to quit lots of things not mm. because he wants to but because he needs to it's mm. it's a very very horrible um violence i think and that's something you'd see in any society don't you think it's just so universal where, wherever yes. you are in the world you, you see these people who are working for a pittance for people who are incredibly wealthy quite often not being treated very well yeah like just sometimes I, like i just think like going to a club buying a drink that costs the same of what a person is earning an hour or in places like mexico mm. for the whole night it's just so rude. Like it's it's unfair. Is I feel like I feel even as we're talking about this, like I feel the rage, like the unfairness, which I think <laughs> like un- unintentionally I'm not. Um Melchor does a really good job of I think Ian or someone mentioned getting into the head of the characters. So, you know, um like we we're talking about the like uh, unfairness of that polo kind of being I think in one scene in particular that sticks out in my mind really vividly is like the lady of the gated community pressing extra money into his hands like I felt for polo like it's the indignity of like the pride of like oh you think I don't earn enough and also of the yeah you know I don't earn enough like just pay me properly in a little way and her yeah treating like putting putting them into putting them into place like the great like he she thinks it's grace but it's just, yeah. I don't know, it just felt it, gross. Yeah. It is. It's it's like trying to disguise unfairness as an act of kind, kindness. Like, I'll give oh, you more money because I'm so good instead of paying you fairly. Which I I wrote and I uh, this, like, about Paul in particular. Like, you, I, mm. I felt repulsed by all his thoughts. And I, yeah, I, I sort of rejected, like, I didn't identify with him. But I, at the same time, while I was reading and the novel was going on, I also felt mm. lots of empathy for him and I could understand why why he was so outraged and and angry with with himself with the people who was surrounding him with mm. the class system and I think that's a great thing that Melchor does even though what the novel or the story is saying is horrible I mm. felt empathy for the character which He's is very good at that Yeah which is such a hard thing to do because as you said Aloy some of the things that Polo uh, thinks is quite um, what's well, demeaning number one mm. and there are some slurs that I can't even repeat on the podcast because they are things that in a hundred million years would not like like would not occur to me but to him it's like a sort of st- stream of consciousness that he thinks about but you know on the flip side it is a very fine line for her to be able to kind of preserve his humanity as well to for us to put him in the shoes. I think the other big point is, I, for, I forgot, and until all of you mentioned, but um, both Paul and Frank are like children, effectively, They're like 14 and 16 years old. And I think, Jamie, before you raised a really interesting point about the concept of how childhood kind of intersects with the class point of it. Yeah, so at least for me, um, now I can't remember the exact details, so feel free to correct me because mm. I did read it a few months ago. The whole differentiation between the two teenage boys and the the rich uh, woman in does she live in paradise? Yes, yes. yes. Um, yeah. And how they see it as an opening because to them 
she is mm. rich. And they're like, mm. okay, but how can we use her? And that's really interesting coming from admittedly they're close to adulthood but they're still children 15 16 ish which is roughly how old the characters are it's interesting that they know so much about ways to get around it because their upbringing and things like that so like the experiences they've had have made them have this what i'm going to turn like a jaded outlook in terms of they don't see her for her wealth her um like what she can offer to society it's what she can offer to them to better mm. themselves in society to discuss such a, a hard topic through the guise of like teenagedom mm. is amazing on Mel, Mel Chaw's part because she does such a fantastic job at doing that. But then also there's like violence and all that attached to that and the things they feel they need to do to survive as children who've grown up in this situation. I'd say that yeah. Franco isn't so much um, looking for what he can get i mean you know he's not trying to get any money out of her he's just obsessed with her sexually he wants to he wants think, to be with her and, and that i think that's what her. he can get out of it though yeah like it's an opportunity for him it's interesting how the classes sort of have a lens over over what they want from her you know because he's this entitled boy he has everything he wants but he wants this woman uh whereas polo has nothing and he just sees it as an opportunity to to make some quick money. Talking about age, what I, I found that she portrays really well is how even class determine your future in Mexico. Like Polo, which mm. is almost the same age as, as Franco, has to quit school, has to go to work. Even the way mm. in in which uh, Polo approaches sex is very different of how Franco does it in the, the sense of like, oh, I know that I can get a, a woman pregnant if I have sex with her. And what does that mean for the future? Whether whether Franco even, it's like, I just want that, that woman because all my life I've been getting what I want. Like I can quit school. I just don't need to work. And I just can uh, raise my hand and I will get wh whatever I, I want. And at this time I want that woman without thinking of consequences like she has a family or any other thing. And I do find, um, and sorry about the spoilers, found a little mm -hmm. bit funny that he buys condoms when he's thinking about raping a woman, which uh, I thought like, yeah, who thinks on, of, of those, those things? Because he didn't want any DNA evidence on her or something. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that was yeah, the way I took it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, no. I feel like to a degree he was also like, he had so convinced himself that she wanted it. Mm. And so it was like, I'm going to be respectful of her because she wants <laughs> this so badly. Like yeah. that's how I viewed it at least was he had this like sort of twisted so mindset about it. Yeah. Which yeah. I think it has to do with how much porn he watches. And, and yeah. I think that's a commentary on porn because he, he, and a, a little bit of like how this toxic masculinity gets fed while we are mm. teenagers, when we watch porn and because there's all in all porn movies, obviously I haven't seen many uh trade men porn, but I have seen a few. Um that's a disclaimer like, I had. Like, <laughs> you haven't done so your like, research no, for this episode, Alo. Like women women are 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 desperate to, to, to have sex and they're always in the mood for sex and asking and And when they say no, they mean yes. No. Yes. Mm. And 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 mm. I feel like that's where, where Franco gets his idea of she wants me and she's actually begging me when 
even in in Polo's mind, it's like this guy is delusional. Like that woman hasn't se sent any sign that she's interested in him at all. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a comment on the porn industry, um, mm. which Melchor uses through the children to show, like how delusional it can make even children. I mean, to a certain extent, I feel like they were both pretty delusional. Like Franco in thinking mm. that he even had a chance, and then. Polo in insaning the idea that he could get away with everything that he had planned with Franco. Maybe we can talk a little bit about how Fernanda um, Malco kind of writes as well. So you kind of trip into um, what happens at the end. What do we call it? Like a home invasion, I guess. Like a home invasion happens. Yeah. I, I think mm -hmm. that's what you call it. But um, the way we kind of trip into it, Polo is in disbelief that he's even involved in the entire thing right up to the moment where him and Franco are standing in front of, um, I don't really want to just call her the woman, but I can't remember her name, <laughs> which I don't know if it's an indictment on me or the Mariana. way that the book her has been written. Mariana. <laughs> or the way the book's been written. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, because she's just is. an object all the way through the yeah. book. Yeah. Mm. Her name is sort of exactly. and I Yeah, and I've forgotten. So. Which... Which is that, even like yeah. the way in which like oh she's the the wife of she's never yeah. she's never she's never she's a, a woman or yeah. herself. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's also uh, a decision that probably the author made to make a point. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. But I think with the language aspect of it, I know Alo, you read it in um, Spanish. So really curious on your part, and then having read it in English as well, I think. Um, Maltor has been said to be ha have a really good ear for sort of dialogue and regional dialect as well. How have you found that in the translation to English? Like, what's been kind of lost there, and what do you think has been gained from the translation? I I do have to to say, like, I read it in Spanish like a, a year ago, and the impression that I I had like like this is a very grotesque, very violent book in in terms of language as well, and. I stand by that, like rereading it. I I'd switch a little bit between the English and the Spanish in this part, like just because I wanted to make sure that I, I was like, oh, they translated correctly and stuff like that. I think the translation was done great, but I do feel that the, the violence of some Spanish words cannot be translated into to English. I would say that I think what, what she does really great and you mentioned is like how she ha she uses different words for the characters and those words mm -hmm. let you know like oh this is a, a privileged class character particularly with Franco the, the words that he uses you can know that Polo is from a, a working class because of his language and the way he constructs his thoughts and his internal dialogue it's it's very evident in in there okay yeah so some, like some of it sounds like some of the nuance around class is lost with the translation but overall like would recommend in terms of the translation <laughs> yeah no the, i think the translation was great i i yeah. i'm assuming that would be difficult and i it made me think about how many books i've read in spanish mm. that yeah have these little subtle things that accentuate the storyline or the characters that cannot be translated a hundred percent into another language so yeah that's super interesting i'm glad you shared that with us because we're, like we're always left in the dark when you can't read in the two languages about what's different and what's not and feel super privileged that we get to sneak a little peek at what, what's actually in the, Span the original Spanish version. I think um, 
coming back to the end of the novel for uh, Paradise. So it's another ambiguous ending from us. So Young Mungo had a really ambiguous ending. This one ends a very similar way. A crime has been committed. The police are kind of at the end. What does everyone think of the ending to this one when it kind of stops? I quite liked it in terms of, well, I quite like in any book when you sort of step in midway and then Mm. you see them for an event or a certain amount of time and then you step back out and you don't know what's happening. Like, obviously, yes, we want to know what happened and we want, like, a bit more from the story. But I think that's the best part of stories like this because it shows how good the writer is that they leave you wanting more rather than being left like that and then going, oh, I don't really care or something like that. Couldn't agree more, Jamie. I was just um, thinking, I was comparing this to Claire Keegan's Small Things Like These, um, Mm. Small Things Like This, which is just, it's like this perfect little snapshot and it ends and you don't know what's going to happen. It, it doesn't matter because you've, you've just enjoyed this journey with him so much and life will go on, but you can just imagine what it will be. And I like that in, in this book as well. It's just a perfect place to end because yeah. that's another story of what happens next. This is the story of, of what happened with Franco and Polo. Completely agree. I, I love uh, open endings. I feel like I am a person who likes to reread books, so it gives me the possibility yeah. to uh, encounter that book in a different way and then ending that book differently. And particularly with this, I think the open ending works really well. In this this read that I did, uh, it made me think if it's Polo telling this story to someone mm-hmm. rather than he was just like a narrator of, of a story. I felt like this was like just him telling the, the story to, to someone else. I felt like it was very um, visual, like image behind image behind image behind image about what was happening and then end in a very calm open ending way no i agree Ella. it was very meta the way it ended almost like it ended where it began everything's pristine again cleaned up but there is bloodshed underneath the perfect image so does this podcast would this podcast recommend paradise that a resounding yes yeah, yes we would 100 <laughs> yeah. we love that thank you so much for joining us for that discussion for of paradise by Fernanda Meltor. You heard it from here. Definitely pick it up the next time you go to the bookstore or at your local library. So before we finish up, um, as always, would love to know what you are currently reading and if there's anything that you're looking forward to pick up next. Um, Alo, let's start with you. I am reading uh, the book that I was looking forward to read in last episode, which is Mel C's memoir, Who I Am. For those who don't know who Mel C is, she is a sporty spy from Spice Girls. (laughs) That's my lesson. (laughs) And I'm enjoying it very much, very, very much. She particularly, I've I've heard interviews with her. uh, She was my favorite Spice Girl, as you know from the last episode. Mm -hmm. And I've heard podcasts with her interviews, and she is very eloquent. And you can see that in, in her book. It's a little bit like she's talking to you maybe what happened is like she recorded herself telling her story and someone else typed it out but I I think it works what I'm enjoying it a lot is she is she mentions lots of songs that when she was a child that um, influenced her or these songs that uh, when five girls became a global phenomenon like what other groups were trending and songs that were on the charts so I've been doing like a playlist been nice um 
so yeah, I'm reading that at the moment and I'm really, really looking forward to read Less, Less is Lost, which is the second book of Less by Andrew Sean Greer. I, I love the first one and I've read really good comments about the second part. That's awesome. I've seen Mel C's memoir everywhere in the bookstore, so I'm kind of tempted to pick it up just for the nostalgia factor as well. Uh, J- Jamie, what's on your, um, what are you carrying reading and what are you looking forward to next? Um, so I'm currently reading a recommendation from Allo. I'm always reading oh. someone's recommendation when we do this podcast. <laughs> That's um, great. Olga, oh, you can't see. Olga Dies Dreaming is what I'm currently oh, yes. reading. I'm most of the way through, I'm divided about what I feel like, but we will leave that review for Instagram and for Allo's messages later. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Um, it is quite is good. Is that a Mexican so, book as well? Puerto Rico American Um, it is quite interesting it talks a lot about like I suppose Puerto Rico is like secession and freedom movements and things like that and it's really interesting I'm looking forward to reading O William which I just got on my e-reader because everybody's been reading it so I need to read it obviously (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna try and read the series though like in order to fully get the whole picture because it does sound really good. so It's lovely, but it's better when you've read all of the others before it because I dive into all William first and the payoff is not quite the same when you haven't read the other book before all William. I'm like a, a staunch believer in like reading the whole series just for the one book <laughs> I want to get to, so I will do it. <laughs> They're all very short, so you, you fly through them exactly, in no time. Yeah, it'll be fine. Summer reading, it's fine. Uh Ian, what's on your pal? Oh, well, I'm so inspired by everything that you've just said. I'm just adding them all to my list immediately. (laughs) But I loved O. William, and I was actually, I I read that when I was reading the Booker Prize shortlist, so I didn't read the other ones, but I loved it so much. I do want to go back and read all of them. I was thinking of doing my summer with Strout and just reading all of Strout's books over summer. Mm. Oh, my gosh, that's what I'm going to do. Let's do it. really? Yeah. We should do that, um, and then we do an ep- a special episode on on, on staff. Yeah, and like oh. well, however many. You since since feel I finished like the, the short list, I kind of had a little bit of a book slump, and I kind yeah. of I don't really know what to read next. And then I mm. sort of binge read Paradise this weekend, ready for our recording today. But Allo, um, you're talking about less, and you know my my favorite strategy for getting out of a reading slump is just to reread a favorite book. And Less is Lost has just come out, and I want to read that. And I thought maybe I'll reread Less. And then goes through oh, yeah. is lost. Mm. So that's that's probably what I'll read next. What about you, Bev? I've always wanted to read less, but I've just never had an opportunity to. But if everyone else is reading it, I will join the crowd in. <laughs> um, my current read, or oh, I just finished before you knew my name, which I think I mentioned in one of the other podcasts for one of my other book clubs. It's a thriller. Did love it. Um, but I think some of the people in my book club really did. So it was a very divided book. My next one's called The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. She's been called both a Charles Dickens and Bram Stoker who has come together to write the great Victorian novel. It's recommended by a friend, so it also has a TV series attached to it. So I have read about like a third of it so far. It is very Charles Dickens-y in that like there is fog, London fog, and they are travelling everywhere and there are, I don't know, I think there's class commentary, etc. But it's nice to kind of sink into something a little bit more historic, which is not my usual wheelhouse, but I've liked it so far. Does it have a TikTok sticker? Uh, no, but it's it's quite pretty. Good. It's like a very, it's a, Ooh. I don't know, it looks like a carpet or like old curtains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Awesome. All right. Well, that's a very hefty list. I think we've left each other off. Every time we do one of these, I'm always like, oh, now I've got another 10 books to add to my list. <laughs> I am Will the same. It? Will <laughs> it? For our listeners out there, we will be focusing on one book next week. We are very excited to be discussing the 2022 Booker Prize winner that just got announced. I'm going to read this very slowly because I don't want to mess up the pronunciation, but it's The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shahan Karanatilaka. Don't know if I compound. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I need to check whether that's right. But um, I think I'm like, I'm almost done with it. It's a, it's a cracking read. I'm so glad. Such it, a good book. It sounds so, so good. It's my next read. I'm yes, really I, excited. Uh, I should have mentioned that one, uh, the one that I'm looking forward to read. I, <laughs> I, I've tried to get it this week, but it's apparently sold out, probably because yes. it, it just won the, the Booker Prize. Uh, yeah, I've but, had the same yeah, issue. <laughs> apparently the new edition, the, the paperback, comes out on the 1st of November. So hopefully I can get yeah. my hands on mm. a copy. Yeah, hopefully you can get your hands on it. It's such an unexpected win, I thought. I always think that Booker Prize winners are really boring, but that's just my bias. <laughs> uh, I think we are done for this episode thank you everybody for listening to us today and for tuning in if you've got any comments about paradise feel free to drop a comment on our um, bookstagram dm us we always love to hear from our listeners remember to like comment and subscribe on any of the platforms that you're here you're listening to us too that always helps with everything that we're doing and we'll catch you next time thank you so much again The book's baby theme music was written by Paul Smith and performed by Paul Smith and Ian Sykes. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which this podcast was recorded. We pay our respects to Indigenous elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal.